Hello, honeybee. How you doing? Hi, Precious D. Welcome back, everybody. This is Monster Movie Fun Time Go with Precious D and Honeybee. You seen any good movies lately, Honeybee? You know, a few, a few. I was supposed to watch the Superman short first. Uh huh. Correct. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I did. Uh huh. And I knew instantly as soon as I saw the, I guess, cover for this movie i don't Uh know is it still called a case since there isn't a real case (laughs) (laughs) the thumbnail image yes the thumbnail image i knew as as soon as i saw the thumbnail image of the beast from Twenty Thousand fathoms why i watched the superman cartoon yeah so before our main feature where we have a short to discuss arctic giant from 1942 one of Fleischer Studios' Superman cartoons, the fourth of their cartoons, fourth of the Superman cartoons. Nobody's mentioned it in any of the information I could see, but this cartoon, I think, is the first case of a dinosaur melting and still being alive and going on a run, <laughs> which we see in numerous movies. Uh, it was not list. It was not listed as a direct inspiration for Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms, but they did it first. So they did. They did it first, and I mean, it was pretty similar. It was pretty <laughs> spot on. So uh, to briefly summarize, it's only an eight or nine minute cartoon. Then a narrator quickly brings us up to speed because we don't have much time. So in Siberia, they found a dinosaur a tyrannosaurus from the mesozoic period i didn't have time to research if that is accurate uh it but it's found in siberia and flown or or shipped rather in a huge chunk of ice they just chisel it out in a chunk of ice and it is brought to the museum of natural science which apparently is in metropolis and we see perry white getting a phone call about it saying you mean to say if this thing thawed out it might still be alive lois go over there and check it out oh lois goes to check it out some uh some dude is showing her some maintenance guy is showing her around (laughs) and knocks his oil can into the gears of the engine that is powering the cooling mechanism they have what looks like a giant generator that's powering the refrigeration unit He knocks his oil can into it, or he sets it down. The vibrations make it bounce into the machine, which shuts down. And the thing immediately starts melting. The monster is still alive and starts rampaging around Metropolis. (laughs) It tears up some buildings, charges through a bridge. At one point, the the river fire brigade is trying to stop it with fire hoses. And then Superman comes along. Just as the thing is heading towards a crowded baseball stadium, Superman uh, slaps the monster around a little bit. Lois comes out on a balcony out of nowhere. Somehow she got <laughs> building, comes running out with a camera. The monster scoops her up in his mouth, but Superman punches it before it can swallow her. And she gets really snarky when he rescues her. <laughs> <laughs> Notice that? 
<laughs> Tell me what. Well, she, he's like, uh, now this time you stay here. And she's like, yes, my lord. <laughs> you were almost eaten by a dinosaur. A little less snark, miss. Yeah, miss can't tell who Superman is. <laughs> and uh, then he, he knocks the thing down and he uses a lamp post to tie it in place. And then we cut to a newspaper headline saying that it's been sent to the zoo and is being kept in the park zoo. <laughs> Just the park zoo, like the little zoo that they have in Central Park in Metropolis, I guess. And the picture shows the thing just sort of in a little pit with chains on it being kept for display. Woo! Go humans! I mean, it's bad, but he gets off better than most of these monsters. That is true. Oh, man. (laughs) He's still alive at the end. So that is, uh, that cartoon's in the public domain. Anybody that wants to can go watch it on YouTube. And you Uh, should. Yeah, those old Superman cartoons are great. They're so great. I actually kind of went down a hole like i watched <laughs> that one video and then watched another and watched another because i really haven't seen any like superman from that time all the superman <laughs> that i've seen is the newer stuff so right. it was really cool i loved it so much and i kind of got stuck a little bit so please go and watch it though those were the first superman cartoons the first visual adaptation outside of comics the radio show was the first, well, actually the first adaptation was a novel, non-comic book adaptation was a novel, then a radio show. Bud Collier, the voice in the radio show, also provides the voice in these cartoons. And I said they're great. They're mostly great. There is one called Japatours that has not aged well. Eesh. Did you, did you see that one? I did not see that one. <laughs> It's about Japanese living here in America being saboteurs during World War II. Oh, no. Which there is no evidence that any of that ever happened. But that was, you know, the excuse for locking a bunch of people up, including Star Trek's George Takai, in concentration camps during the war. A bunch of American citizens. So, uh, America. Superman's uh, producers were not immune to nonsense. Uh, but this is not a Superman podcast. Yep. Oops. Sorry. 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 It could be. I mean, I know <laughs> anyone who knows me knows I do <laughs> a Superman podcast. But that that is true. Anybody who does know you. <laughs> but that's not what we're doing here today. I just thought we should all take a look at that because there's so many of these monster movies where some dinosaur or dinosaur-like creature is thawed out of the ice and still alive. Mm-hmm. So I think that as far as I can tell, that is the first one to do it. But then we go from 1942 to 1953, The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. Beastie! I'm going to tell you, I loved this movie. Good. I really enjoyed it. It was probably the first movie so far that I was like, oh my gosh, I actually really like this. I would watch this just to watch it, you know? I liked it. I loved the opening music. As soon as the opening music started, I was excited. I thought the underscore for the entire film was good. Anytime something was happening, there was always like some music telling you what emotion to feel. Love that. (laughs) (laughs) What did you think? Did you love this movie? I didn't hate it. I think you might have enjoyed it more than I did. I I liked it. It's the first example of a monster awakened by atomic 
explosions or radiation mm-hmm. or, or atomic energy or whatever. And that is going to be a recurring theme in many of these films. Right. Let's get some data out of the way here. June 13th, 1953, black and white, Warner Brothers, directed by Eugene Laurie. Budget was 200000 Box office was $5 million, so not bad. Ooh. The featured monster is a retosaurus, not a real dinosaur. <laughs> it is 200 feet long. That's the biggest one we've had so far. Yes. Death count is... I didn't find a thing online, but in the movie itself, they tell us 180 known dead, 1,500 injured, $300 million in damage. But isn't that like up to a certain point? Isn't that like, it's like in a newspaper or something like up until that yes, point? Yeah. That's there, there may be a few more deaths and damage after that. <laughs> this was Ray Harryhausen's first time to be fully in charge of the technical effects. Ooh. And they claim it is based on or suggested by a Ray Bradbury story. This is not exactly true. It's okay. While they were in production, I've seen two different versions of who brought it to whose attention, but supposedly while while they were in pre-production, Ray Harryhausen said to the producer Hey, Bradbury just published this story, Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. They were going to call it The Monster from Beneath the Sea. Mm -hmm. Bradbury's published this story, Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. It also has a dinosaur attacking a lighthouse in it. So they decided, well, we'll just buy the rights to that story and give him a credit. And then we don't have to worry about getting sued or anything. And let's change the title to that title. And we can put Bradbury's name on it. And he, he was already at that time fairly well-known author so that was only going to help the prestige of the movie Mm, i see yeah but really it's not directly inspired by that story in that story it's just about a lighthouse and there's a foghorn the story is retitled the foghorn in later collections the foghorn is attracting a monster because it sounds like the mating call (laughs) it's other this dinosaur or dinosaur-like creature comes out of the sea looking for its mate (laughs) and then i guess gets mad when it doesn't find it and wrecks the lighthouse oh that makes sense and then just it's just a short story so just it wrecks the lighthouse and then it goes away so that's really all there is to it that's hilarious and honeybee how deep do you think the ocean is um well apparently it's uh twenty thousand fathoms it is not (laughs) the deepest part of the ocean is a fissure that's part of the marianas trench called the challenger deep and it is 6033 fathoms wow nowhere near i would have expected better from ray bradbury Oh, come on. 20,000 fathoms sounds great, though. Maybe he uh, was thinking or trying to make us think of 20,000 leagues under the Mm -hmm. sea. Yeah. That might be why he chose that number. But uh, a league is a a measure of length, not depth. So 20,000 leagues under the sea is how long the journey in that submarine is. How much area they cover. (laughs) He was like, and this this is going to make me good money. Put the put this number on it (laughs) so uh that is nitpicking out of the way (laughs) the original prints of this movie were in sepia tone oh i don't know why but they were the one we watched was just straight up black and white 
Yeah. The movie starts off with a very important sounding narrator telling mm-hmm. us that this is Operation Experiment. Operation Experiment. <laughs> Operation No Imagination in naming our operation. <laughs> Far north of the Arctic Circle, and they are bombing for science. Bombing for science. Science (laughs) rules. Professor Tom Nesbitt and a bunch of other science types are going to drop a bomb and then, I guess, measure the radiation or something. Right. Yes. So, cue atomic explosion in the first... (laughs) 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, got it. It's got to be the first minute, first two minutes. Yeah. They detect some kind of foreign object on the radar. Mm hmm. They drop the bomb anyway. Or or did they detect a, a foreign object? I think they detect they, the they detect it after the explosion. Okay. Yeah. They say they detect it after the explosion. They're like, oh, there's a foreign object on the radar screen. And then it disappears. And one guy says to the other, oh, it must have been something that was like blown in front of the antenna when the explosion happened. Yeah. I wrote down eight weeks. I don't know why I wrote eight weeks. Oh, because it took um, eight weeks to get ready for X yeah. day or yeah. whatever. They've been planning this for eight weeks. Right, yeah. So it took eight weeks to to get ready. And then whatever they saw on the radar, they said, I'm not sure if I heard this right, but he was like, it had to have been tons at least. And I was like, whoa. Uh, Is that from the radar? (laughs) He might have meant the explosion. Oh, I see. Okay, yeah, that makes way more sense. There's a little bit where they acknowledge that they're playing God and maybe shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. George Ritchie is like, you know, every time one of these things goes off, I feel as <laughs> so helping to write the first chapter of a new Genesis. Yeah. And, Tom, and Tom says, let's hope we're not writing the last chapter of the old one. But we're I did go ahead and do it anyway. Cheers, mate. I did like this quote, though, that Tom says. Um, he says, the world's been here for millions of years. Man has been walking around a short time comparatively um, mentally we're still crawling and I was like ooh so true I like that yeah so they go out to take some readings and uh, there's a blizzard coming up and so they need to get back quickly they might go out not realizing there's a blizzard coming up but back at base they know there's a blizzard coming and then at only 9 minutes and 17 seconds in we get a glimpse of the beast new record so far and then we get a really good look at it just a moment later and george ritchie he sees the thing and then steps backwards and falls into a crevice and breaks his leg and shoots off his gun to get tom's attention not a good idea in a avalanche (laughs) area but the dinosaur actually causes the avalanche or he causes a stock footage avalanche to go off and George doesn't make it. I know. I was so, I couldn't believe it. I was like, dang, already? We're already yeah. killing people off? Yep. But Tom gets brought back and is in some kind of shock and is babbling about the cont- monster. I wrote down monster, but it just looks like Mandersturzer. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I wrote down never found Richie sad face, the monster oh. frozen delirium. <laughs> Do we know at this point where Tom Nesbitt is from? 
And did you feel like oh. he kept his accent the whole movie? No, that's his accent. Okay. He's probably trying to hide it at points and not. I see. It. Yeah. Because, like, sometimes he had a really thick accent and sometimes he didn't. And I did not know. Where is he from? Tom Nesbitt is played by Paul Christian, except that is not his real name. It is Paul Hubschmid. He is Swiss. Okay. So I, nice. think, I think he's just trying to suppress his accent. Yeah, because I know also at some point when we introduce the leading lady, she says something about when he came to this country. So I was like, okay, I wasn't uh, sure if we were if it was acting. <laughs> okay, so yeah, they try. They must have just thrown a line in there to cover for his accent, mm-hmm. like they do in every in many Schwarzenegger movies. We just have to acknowledge briefly that he's not from here and then move on. Yeah. That is Paula Raymond playing Lee Hunter. Paula. Shout out. We'll we'll meet her in a minute in a minute. Tom gets taken back to New York, is in the hospital for 14 days. A doctor and a colonel come in to talk to him and nobody believes him about the monster. They think he's just suffering from, you know, mental shock. Yeah, traumatic hallucinations. Yeah. And they just tell him he's got to stay in bed, which I think is the movie's answer for everything movies in general take a nap get some rest now okay you're on bed rest and the then we see the beast attack a boat and bite it and jump on it yeah nova scotia oh yeah then we go back and we see tom and then talking with the nurse about the newspaper and the nurse yes oh only read the funny pages death and politics is uh, in the papers only good stuff's on the comic page. And Tom turns to the comic page, and for some reason, there's a story there about the ship getting wrecked by a monster. But can we just take a moment to acknowledge that in 1953, that someone said, death and politics, that's the only thing in the uh, uh, comics, are the only thing that ever makes sense. I'm like, wow, Like, does everybody just feel this way? Is this like every generation just yeah. feels like... The same because it's like, you know, if you hear people today, it's like, oh, the good old days. But in 1953, they're saying the same shit. Yep. Everybody thinks 20 years ago was the good old days because that's when they were a child and didn't have have to worry about the things that were going on. Because there's always always things going on. But when you were a kid, you didn't know about it. Right. Right. And then you reach a point where you're like, these kids today <laughs> with their rag time and their bicycles and their yo-yos. When I was a kid, we had a hoop and a stick and we were happy. Yes, that makes perfect sense. I was like, what the hell? Why is this such a reoccurring thing? Like everyone feels this way, but you're totally right. You're totally right. So then uh, Tom goes to see Dr. Ellison, who is a famous paleontologist who has apparently the dinosaur from bringing up baby in his office. That's just a little Wikipedia trivia for you. Okay, but it's so, isn't it weird that Tom is just like, he at first he's like, I'm not crazy, let me out of here. And they're like, no, Tom, you need to rest. And then he's like, I'm going to go to this place. And he just like gets up and like gets dressed and leaves the hospital. <laughs> Yeah. Wait, what? Well, he's been there for 14 days, so I think he's just gold working at this point. He's just milking <laughs> his bed rest. Yeah, I don't I don't know how he I guess he can just check himself out at this point cuz he seems perfectly fine. He's not Yeah, like, he's perfectly fine and then at, like and then when he's in there and they he has the conversation with the paleontologist he's like, "Well, I guess I'll go back to the hospital." <laughs> I was like, "Are they not even keeping them there here against yeah. his will?" <laughs> 
<laughs> just had a day pass, I guess. Yeah. So he, oh yeah, he talks gosh. to the. He tries to talk to the paleontologist and find out is it even possible. Guy tells him no. But Lee Hunter, his assistant, is kind of like, well, maybe it's possible. Couldn't it be? This handsome guy thinks it's true, so maybe, maybe. I'd be. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's this is when she says it when when he when she's like, when he first came to this country, I went to all of his lectures and stuff. He's a brilliant man. Surely he's on to something. So she was stalking him back then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, but the, a week later, Tom is released from the hospital. So after his day trip, he still goes back for a whole week and <laughs> and then we hear a little bit of uh the exposition exposition station on the radio telling us about an attack in maquette canada yes and i loved um on this radio like as it was fading out there's like a little ad and the radio guy's like sea serpent he really ought to stop smoking that stuff and try virginia <laughs> golds it's like a cigarette commercial <laughs> right I was like, hell yes. <laughs> That's a good good sign of the times right there. I used to listen to a lot of old radio shows, and the commercials are all for cigarettes, soap, or coal. Coal. Maybe occasionally a breakfast cereal if it's a kid's show. So let's see, what is what happens next? Um let's see. Goes back to the office. Oh yeah, some secretary, Miss Ryan, who we don't see again, says uh Lee Hunter is here to see you and she's very pretty she's pretty she also heard the report on the radio and wants to help identify the dinosaur and now for some reason now that somebody believes him tom's hesitating i don't Mm. get what that's about yeah trying to just artificially create some tension some uh conflict i guess that doesn't really exist but she invites him over to her place to take a look at her etchings I got some dinosaur drawings back at my place. My <laughs> Pre, prehistoric uh, back at my place. Yeah. yeah. So he goes over and she does the gender role stuff, makes a dinner and serves it and all of that. And there is just a romantic, a small romantic underscore in the background. This movie was all about like the music. Something was going on and there was just like a, a little saxophone in the background <laughs> right here. Like they're like looking at dinosaur sketches. <laughs> You didn't notice that? Oh my gosh! No, I don't. I was not as uh, keenly aware of the music as you were. <laughs> it was just exciting to me because, like, from the very first moment, the music was just so like, oh, okay. And every every single scene, the music was doing something. And this, when they're looking at the sketches, there's like a little saxophone in the back, <laughs> a little light romantic music in the back. I wrote in my note, flirty, flirt, flirt. <laughs> Slow blossoming romance, and then um, you do you hear that King Kong movie? <laughs> See this growing romance? This is what it's supposed to be like. <laughs> well, I meant to mention earlier, uh, King Kong had had a successful re-release just the year before this came out. Oh, really? So that probably helped. I don't know. I think they were already working on this movie, so I don't know that it was any direct inspiration for it. But I'm sure it didn't hurt. Yeah. That, there was a public interest in this kind of thing when it came. Mm-hmm. Uh, but eventually they find, oh yeah, I, I did write down here, flirt about past and future. Mm-hmm. Flirty conversation about the past and what the future holds. 
The future is a reflection of the past. And they eventually find the sketch that they're looking for and they want to show it to the Canadian captain. Yes, I love this. I love this like, oh, look at this drawn picture I have. Several of them. And most of those pictures were real sketches by, you know, a sort of scientist dinosaur sketchy guy. But then they have the (laughs) dinosaur scientist sketchy guy. It's mentioned in Wikipedia specifically who's, I didn't make a note of it, but some actual, you know, science sketch, <laughs> except for the made up one for the Redosaurus. So they, he tries to call Canada, but it's French Canada and they, there's a language barrier. <laughs> the guy doesn't want to talk to him and hangs up on them. And the operator seems to know the guy personally. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, oh, he's just been a little weird after his attack or whatever. <laughs> Operators give him all this information, you know, <laughs> oh, he doesn't want to talk to you. He doesn't want to talk to anybody after the thing. And I'm like, seems a little unprofessional <laughs> for the operator to be telling me all of this stuff. <laughs> I guess that's what it was like back then. I will say, too, he does, like, dial the operator. Remember in the last one yeah. or, like, a few movies ago, they just, like, picked up the phone and were like, ah, operator, do what I say. And I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, this one, he actually, like, picked up the phone, like, dialed a thing and was like, operator? Whatever. Or she, I think she comes on first like, operator. There's an old uh, radio show called Fibber, McGee, and Molly. And every time Fibber would go to make a phone call, we would only hear his side of the conversation. But he would pick up the phone and he would go, uh, operator, Mert, is that you, Mert? How's every little thing, Mert? <laughs> oh, you don't say it. And he would have a conversation with the operator because it was always Aww. the same one that he knew. And we'd get some little joke. Cute. Well, apparently this operator knew... Yeah. The French guy as well as <laughs> knows everyone in town. Yeah. <laughs> so Tom flies to Marquette and misses the captain by two hours. Wah wah. So then he goes to uh St. Pierre to question another witness. And this guy has PTSD and doesn't want to talk. Jacob, I think is his name. Yes. Then we come back to Dr. Elson and Lee chatting, and he knows that Lee likes Tom. We get a little confirmation of the flirting that was going on. Mm-hmm. If the saxophone wasn't enough. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, back in the hospital in Canada, Jacob identifies the same picture. No, he, no, he, t- Tom is like, he like tells him like, I believe you. I've seen the monster. And then he's like, Jacob, will you come to New York? To identify, like, to see this. And I'm like, Tom, you couldn't bring the damn sketch? (laughs) You're right. You're right. Yeah, they dragged this guy. He's in some kind of Catholic hospital run by nuns. And the the nuns sort of encourage him, I think, to go. Yeah, he drags him all the way back to New York to look at the pictures. Yeah, I was like, what the hell, Tom? (laughs) Come on, man. I guess he's got an unlimited budget. I guess so. Flying, Flying up there, flying other people back. That's when we find out it's called a Redosaurus. Everyone will listen now. And Tom calls in his buddy, Colonel Evans, Elson and, and Evans talk to another Colonel. I don't know what the hell I've written here. Hmm. Oh no. Ellison and Evans talk. Colonel agrees to check with the coast guard. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And then we get our lighthouse scene. Yes. At some point here. Oh, when the, uh, when what when Jacob uh, identifies the 
the monster, there was this really funny moment where they're like, he's like, what further proof do you need, doctor? Like, aren't our cartoon drawings enough for you? And then the doctor's like, you're right. I'll stake my career on it. But like two seconds ago was like, no, there's no such thing. And now he's like, you know what? Of course it's enough. It was just a really funny moment there. Um, But yes, the lighthouse scene, I feel like the animation is so much better. Of course it is, you know, 20 years later, but the animation was way better in this. And the sound effects of the monster really made me think that this movie was pretty scary in 1953 yeah probably yeah it was really good the sound effects were good the animation was like quicker is it the same is it the stop animation yes yes it's okay ray harryhausen that is his thing yeah pretty much his only thing okay so well, yeah his only thing he some of the movies he helped develop the movie itself you know he worked on the story and other aspects of the production but just in service to getting his stop motion animation on the screen, you know, and getting interesting things that he wanted to animate, I guess, would, would, would have been a motivation for taking control of the story. But Honeybee, uh, let's take a little break here and we'll be back in just a moment. Bye. With Kizik Can's free shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy-on, easy-off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com socks. Welcome back. Next thing that happens is a couple of the military guys, Jack and Phil, have a little talk. Phil's the uh, Coast Guard guy. He agrees to check out the story, see if there's any other reports. Then we see that Tom and Lee are dating now. Wow, they're, they're at a at, little show. They're at the ballet. And I noticed this when I was watching some other movie a while back. I realized something that the ballet is very often in a movie the thing to get interrupted. <laughs> and I think there's a, I think there may be a practical reason for that. There's, I think there's some story reasons, but also practical reason. Mm-hmm. I mean, from the story point of view, it's a thing that you prepare to go to. It's a big deal. You dress up. You've made an effort to go to this thing. So. For it to get interrupted, it must be something important. Okay, that makes but sense. From a practical point of view, it's an easy thing to stage. Mm-hmm. A ballet only has to have maybe two people, possibly even just one person. This one has a little bit of a set, but you don't need to have a big, huge set. You can probably be performing to some public domain music. Mm-hmm. You don't have to have a piece of a play that somebody owns. The costumes can be minimal. You can very quickly establish a sort of classy event without spending a lot of money on it. Yeah, I've definitely seen the ballet and I've also seen the opera, interrupting opera. (laughs) Yeah, and it's also, an I feel, an easier thing to walk out of than an actual play. Mm -hmm. The people around you aren't going to get as annoyed if if you get up and leave because, you know, you're not interrupting the story, you're not interfering with them hearing the dialogue of the play or anything 
So I think this is why we see so many ballet and opera performances getting interrupted. That's hilarious. Good observation. So yeah, going forward in your life, make note whenever the ballet <laughs> is interrupted in a movie. Also keep count of how many times it is Swan Lake. Oh sure yeah, which, yeah, yeah. I don't think this one was Swan Lake, but I'm guessing uh, 90% of the time it will be Swan Lake. Yeah. Yeah, I will say also in this little ballet scene where we see Tom staring at Lee instead of the tiny ballerina stems <laughs> turning on stage. I was like, oh, cute. <laughs> it's like a little moment that they have where he's just like, oh, I'm staring at you. And she's like looking at the ballerina and then she looks at him and like gives a little smile and then nods to the stage like, pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> But some for somehow Tom gets a note. So whoever it is knows Tom is at the ballet, calls up there and has them deliver a note to him in his box seat. And they get up and leave. And Tom, Lee, Dr. Ellison, Jack and Phil all meet and go over the reports that they've gotten. And then Ellison traces them out on a map and realizes the thing is probably heading towards some kind of nesting ground in New York. It says the four attacks following Arctic current towards uh, submerged canyons where species remains were found. So he has a reason to think it's some sort of instinctual spawning pattern he's following or something. Mm -hmm. And the doctor wants to go down in a diving bell. I think I'm jumping to the next scene. They're they're all on a boat. Yes. No, you're right. The doctor is going to go down in a diving bell into the canyon, a hundred miles long. Okay, so the place they're searching is a hundred miles long. So they're going to try a descent every hour. They're going to, every hour they'll try a different spot until they find the creature. But lucky for them, <laughs> they find it on the first try. Okay, but back up because plot twist. Lee kisses the doctor on the mouth before he goes down, which, okay, innocent enough, maybe, sure, but she never kisses what's-his-face on the mouth, (laughs) ever. She kisses the doctor on the mouth, and she's like, oh, they have this, like, moment. I was like, wait, hold up, what? I didn't notice that it was on the mouth. Clearly, she sees him as some kind of father figure and feels very tenderly about him, but I didn't Oh, it was tender. I didn't (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> so she's throwing my bone because she knows he's about to go die. Yeah, she's yeah. Working. She's. I. I. I think that Lee was in love with the doctor until Tom showed up. Because then there's like this moment where he's like, "So, how did you? Uh, that's not his accent. How did you become <laughs> the doctor's assistant?" And she's like, "I wouldn't stop bugging him." He 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 he. And I think I think Lee likes older men. She was that student. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, there's got to be one. You know. <laughs> Well, good good for him, I guess. <laughs> yeah, Lisa babe. Anyways, so yeah, and then also um the before they actually find the beast or the monster, the octopus animation. I was like, "Okay, it was really neat. I uh, liked it." I think that was just stock footage. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah that was an actual octopus. I don't are you sure because there were times where it looked like it was like not real when, when the octopus is fighting the is it a shark 
Yeah, it is a shark. But before they're actually fighting, before they sh- like when the octopus is just like moving like across the screen. Yeah. I was like, okay, but maybe you're right. Maybe it was just stock footage. I don't know. There was moments where it looked like I wrote down, it was stop animation. I wrote down stock footage of octopus and shark. Footage reverses, and then nah. the, <laughs> and then the retosaurus crosses the screen. Yeah. And th- through this whole thing, the doctor and doctor Mister Wilson are in the diving bell, mm-hmm. and the doctor's giving an ongoing report of what they're seeing down there. And he sees the retosaurus coming. And then he says, the most astonishing thing about it is dead. Then we don't lose contact. And the newspaper tells us famed scientist lost in sea tragedy. Before he goes down, uh, Lee's does seem very worried that he's going to die. And he's just, He's like, this is our job, my dear. This is, you know, he's not worried. Yeah, and even Tom, he even, like, tells her, like, to, I guess, comfort her. Like, it was part of his job. Like, he wanted to do it. This is what he wanted, even though he didn't believe me a week ago (laughs) or want anything to do with it. But that's cool. Dying for science. Uh The newspaper also tells us that home sales increase and which other property are growing and in demand. (laughs) (laughs) I, I I froze the picture and was looking at like what is what's all this other news in the paper going on? Uh, Mercury is a new source of X-rays. Two scientists report. Ooh la la! And then we cut to a, a sad scene at the university. Lee is very upset because she was in love with the doctor. She was only going out with Tom because the doctor wouldn't have her. Mm-hmm. Yep. Being appropriate, and she was not. <laughs> uh, and then the beast attacks the docks. He has made it to the city. Go, beastie, go. And I wrote down, kids stand there while everyone panics. <laughs> there are a couple of kids on the street and they're just, they're not panicking. They're just standing there looking while everybody else is running past them. And Aww. then lone tough cop shoots beast. Yes, a brave cop with his tiny little gun. And then I wrote chomp. I guess Yeah. That- <laughs> I wrote, Beastie says, fuck the police. (laughs) And then he bites the car? Yeah. It's so funny, too, because there's, like, a guy in the car, and he's like, huh, what? And then he just, like, drops the car. (laughs) And this is the second time that we see New York get trashed. First time, of course, being King Kong. Right. More cops come running up with long guns. Doesn't do any good. Monster waves his tail and crashes through a building. Then there's there's a state of emergency. Cops are on 24-hour duty. Civilian defense is mobilized. Shelters are opened. National Guard is called out. Ordinary bullets have no effect. And then the beast somehow is hiding. I know. I didn't get this part. I I, I was like, where the, where the fuck is he? Like, did he just go back home? And then it, like, shows him again like hiding so he's he just like wandering around the city and we're acting like where i cannot see this giant where could he have gone those buildings are tall yeah but there's people everywhere we will will see this same idea decades later in the godzilla with matthew broderick in it Mm -hmm. that godzilla is somehow able to hide in the middle of manhattan Okay. Oh, I do want to say too, there's a really good 
um, somewhere in this, like where we are here, there's a really good view of Times Square, which I froze to like see all of the like posters and advertisements and stuff. And there was like, Uh you know, like Judy Garland. And it was really cool. It was just like a good 1953 New York setting. It was neat. Was there a Coca-Cola sign? I didn't see if there was a Coca-Cola sign. I don't think there was, though. Because they're usually, I mean, in modern times anyway, and going back quite a while, there's usually a big, huge-ass Coca-Cola sign in Times Square, like one end of the square. Mm, dang, I did not notice if there was a Coca-Cola sign. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, he's he's uh, sneaking around, sneaking around the city. We see people in the hospital, and they're not just injured, they're sick. Right. And I yeah. thought radiation, but then we find out later that it's a virus. Yeah, in the blood, right? Yeah. Yeah, like because all of a sudden the they get the bazookas because the guns aren't working. And they shoot him and then he like hansels and gretels away, like leaving like blood trails. <laughs> and the soldiers who follow him, they just start falling over. Yeah. Like they just start all of a sudden they're like passing out and like kind of sick or I don't know. It was weird. That that ha- Yeah, that's the next thing that happens. It's night and they shoot him and manage to wound him. And then uh, I wrote something about electrical fence, electrical wires. Yes. Um, he, yeah, the, the beast, he, um, they're like, he's going to touch the wires. And, uh, and he does. And it doesn't bother him though. I mean, not really. He like, you know, and like kind of freaks out a little bit, but it doesn't. The the next thing that I have written down is the radioactive isotope. Yeah, they wound it with the bazookas and then the soldiers start passing out. And then we go to a charting room where the military are looking for the beast. And the medical doctor calls them to say the beast is carrying a virulent disease. Contact with its blood can be fatal. Mm-hmm. And what a badass! So stop shooting it because you will endanger the city. You'll spread the the virus if you shell the the creature. Mm-hmm. And I guess it goes back into the water because then I have monster coming ashore at Manhattan Beach. Yeah, he goes back. So for some reason, though, yeah, the radioactive isotope. For some reason, they think if we shoot it with a radioactive isotope, that will kill the virus as well as the creature. Mm-hmm. It seems to me more likely that the radioactive isotope will cause the virus to mutate into another giant creature that will then stalk the city. <laughs> Fortunately for them, that is not what happens. Yeah. But they're convinced that if they shoot him, it will destroy the disease. So they're waiting for him at Manhattan Beach, and we get a great scene of the beast tearing up a roller coaster. Yes. By the way... At some point here, Lee says to Tom, you know, be careful, and then kisses him on the cheek. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. Uh, so UPS shows up delivering the isotope. <laughs> they have some expert sharpshooter who knows how to use a grenade rifle. So, uh, yeah, I wrote down Tom kisses Lee, but maybe Lee kissed Tom. Wasn't on the lips. <laughs> yeah. Can't get a good shot from ground, so they're going to go up into the roller coaster. They start up the coaster. Tom, I don't know why Tom needs to be there with. I think it's because he knows how to. Yeah, because he has to load it. Yeah, he the, knows the other. How to yeah, isotope. Mm-hmm. So he goes with the guy up the roller coaster, and they pause at the top of the first hump. 
And thank God the monster can't hear very well because this <laughs> rickety ass wooden roller coaster <laughs> is so loud. And they shoot him in the neck and lose control of the car and it goes off the track and starts a fire. Mm-hmm. The beast escapes from the fire and the tangle of the roller coaster, but then dies on the beach. I wrote fire explosion. No. And once again, we get Redosaurus die. Everybody cries. It was so and sad. Just another abrupt ending. Monsters dead story is. <laughs> yeah. The end and scene done. So done. So that was beast from 20,000 fathoms, which is the direct influence on our next movie. Whee! 1954? I think it's 54. 1954. Yeah, 1954, Godzilla, also in its original language, called Gojira. Gojira. So yeah, next time we'll be taking a look. We're really in in the meat of it now. This is the main event. Yay! I am so excited and so happy to be here with you, precious. Thank you, Thank you honeybee. Yeah, we'll be looking at Gojira first, and then we will look at Godzilla King of Monsters, the 1956 American re-edit of the film. We'll okay, do- so it's it's like a total remake? Like it's just our no. version? No, it's a it's an Americanization is what they call it. Ew. But it's different enough that I thought we should do it separately. And we, it might end up being a shorter episode. Okay. We'll see. But no, what they did was they filmed some new footage with an American character and inserted that foot rather than just dub the film into mm-hmm. it. They wanted to make it more relatable to American audiences. So they insert this reporter character. They also re-edited it. They move some scenes around. And for 50 years, that was the version everybody outside of Japan saw. Oh. Wasn't until 2004 that the original Japanese version was released outside of Japan. But we'll get all of that next time. If you have any feedback, you can email us at monstermoviefuntimego at gmail.com. Or you can go to our Anchor page, anchor.fm slash MMFTG, and leave us a voice message there. Hi, Mom. Uh, thanks. <laughs> thanks for joining us, and you will listen to us next time. Bye. You've been listening to Monster Movie Fun Time Go. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review us on your podcasting platform of choice. Our theme song is by the Texacato folk rock punk featuring Rita Lopez. You can support the show, find links to our social media, and even leave us a voice message at anchor.fm slash mnftg.